0: You're listening to the IPHC Leadership Cast. Welcome to this episode of the IPHC Leadership Cast. I'm Janice Bennett, and today we're here with Josh Hanna, who is the Director for Church Revitalization and Multiplication for Evangelism USA. Welcome, Josh.
1: Yeah, good morning.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you with us. Um, and you've just recently come on with Evangelism USA, so we just want to take this opportunity to get to know you a little bit better and hear um, your plans and your vision for church revitalization. So, thanks for joining us today. Um, so, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Josh, about your background? And
1: yeah, I grew up in a very unchurched home, and uh, I was actually uh, a young man addicted to drugs that was asked to go to church. And there was a man in the gym that had literally said to me, uh, if I'm your friend, if you'll go one time based on our friendship, not God, not church, I'll never talk to you about Jesus, church, or God ever again. And based on that, we shook hands and I went. Wow. And the rest is history, as they say.
0: So just out of your friendship and your relationship with him and to honor him.
1: Yeah, I went as a favor to him because I could tell it was so important. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a lot of I don't know if the word be resentment, but I wasn't sold on the idea of God or God being good. But uh, yeah, that that church service began a journey, and uh, through that journey, I got saved and never been the same. Never looked back.
0: Wow! So just out of that personal experience, what um, what would be your advice to someone who has a friend or that was in your situation, struggling with addiction, and you know, just trying to help that person to find? Answers.
1: Yeah, I think the answer is found in the book of Luke where he sends out the 70 plus 2. When he sends those people out two by two, he's really clear with them. He said, find a man of peace. When you find a man of peace, stay in that house, eat in that house, do not go to another house. The third thing he says was, if there's any sick in that house, mm-hmm. heal them. And the fourth thing he said was, now preach the gospel of his kingdom. Mm-hmm. Preaching should be the last thing we do, not the first thing we do. Jesus actually taught... It's the social before the spiritual. Mm-hmm. We want it to be the spiritual before the social. Right. And at the end of the day, here's what he said in modern day terms. Find someone that you could potentially be friends with. You're looking for a connection, a kindred spirit mm-hmm. with somebody unchurched. Mm-hmm. Then build a relationship. Don't skip around. Don't go from one person to the next person. Take time to get to know that person and let them get to know you. In the words of Maxwell, people don't care how much you know do they know how much you care then meet a need in their life. This gentleman, because I was a drug addict, sometimes I wouldn't have enough gas money to put in my car. And he would take me and put 10 bucks in my car when then I actually would fill a car up or at least halfway fill it right. up. Right. Um, and so he met a need. So when you've met those three first check box, when you've checked the box in those first three, um, you've made a friend, you've built a bond, you've met a need. Truth is, it's hard not to be open to listening mm-hmm. To them share the gospel whether you're giving an invitation to church so i think if we do god's work god's way we get god results
0: yeah so just starting with that relationship and a true care a true relationship where you care for that person and and they know that you're genuinely interested in them and then building upon that
1: yeah and i think at the end of the day if most of us looked around we already have people we check the first three boxes with Mm. it may be a high school friend it may be a neighbor it may be somebody we work with every day at the factory But there are already people in our life that they would say that we're their friend. They would say that we share a bond. They would say, yes, we have been there for them at some point. Mm -hmm. And those are the people we should be trying to get to the cross because those are the people that are most open.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, so you started going to church and you um, became a Christian and you progressed in your Christian walk. And then at some point um, you became pastor. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it came out of nowhere. Uh, The Lord began to speak to my heart, and I didn't believe it. He had to send a lot of people for it to be confirmed, not because I didn't want to. I just had um, a lot of self-doubt. I've always struggled with the pronunciation of my words, Mm -hmm. Um, pretty illiterate at the time, a little better today, not a lot, and just struggled with the fact that God could use me to preach. But after... A while, I couldn't sleep at night. I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take the uncomfortableness. Mm. I was so uncomfortable, I didn't have any peace. And finally, I said, Lord, if you open the door, I'll do it. And he opened the door for a little church of about 50 people in Waverly, Tennessee, in the country. And that's where it started. Wow. So how,
0: how long ago did you start pastoring there?
1: So that was, I became the interim pastor in 2000. And I had just turned 22 years of age. It was 2001, April 15th. I became the pastor of that church.
0: Okay. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey and your um, process there?
1: Yeah, so I came in, and off the bat, um, I was going to be a church for unchurched people, which didn't go well. Okay. So we lost a third of the congregation. Um, but everybody finally got on board, so it went down before it went up. Um, But within a year, we had grown to, I think, about 150 people. And then after that, every year it grew. I think the least amount of growth we ever had in a year was 124 in average weekend attendance. Growth over the previous year. And um, that little church grew to over 800 um, every weekend. Um, You know, on big weekends like Easter, you'd have 1,500. But it was over 800 people every weekend in a town of 3,700 people. And that was the largest city in the whole county. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Growing up, if you wanted to buy a pair of Nike tennis shoes, or it was about an hour and 15-minute drive. Yeah.
0: I was just in Waverly yeah. a couple of weeks ago, and I understand where you're talking about. Um, it, you know, it's a rural, secluded area. But, yeah. Um, it's amazing that God used you and that church to make such a tremendous impact in that community. And then um, you also started Hope Centers, wasn't the First Hope Center
1: there in Waverly? Sure. Yeah. So I had actually, that, that church became a multi-site church. Mm-hmm. So we were one church in multiple locations. And that I had, well, I'd almost went into a depression mm-hmm. because when that church was running over 800, I looked around and said, how much bigger can it get? Most people in our county had at least visited our church. Right. And so in that, I got an idea of starting another location. And we did that, and that really put passion back in me again. But after doing multi-siding, I started feeling the same way again, very discontent, almost depressed. Mm -hmm. So that's when the idea for Hope Center came in. A friend of mine had uh, been shot. He had five bullet holes put in him. I say a friend, friend from my past of my B.C. years, my before Christ. And I picked him up. He was homeless. Got him a place to stay. Got a friend in there to work some steps with him. Uh, Took a Bible in there. And while he was going through his DTs, I knew it was going to be a rough week on him. I'm leaving. And the Lord spoke to me and said, build a hope center. And I knew that was the next thing I needed. Mm -hmm. I had pastored a church. The church had become a multi-site church. But every time I would start feeling discontent, I knew that was a sign God's going to give me my next assignment. Mm -hmm. And it was then. It was uh, build a hope center. It would take three and a half years. (laughs) It took a while. Wow. Um, But we started there on that 110 acres you visited. Um, We have 15 centers today. We have a waiting list at every location. We have over 300 people living on our properties. Mm -hmm. They live with us for a year. And in the next four and a half months, we're starting eight more. Wow. So we'll be at 23 centers by December 31st of this year. All
0: right. So... Your whole—I mean—I just hear your heart is really for the unchurched. Yes. It's for the lost. I mean, when you went to Waverly, you took that church and you wanted to make it a church for the unchurched. Yeah. And then out of that, you know, you said multi—how many multi sites did you have out of Waverly?
1: So I—I I had five sites, and we were over two thousand people on average week in attendance. And then I f- felt that discontentment again, started struggling. God, what are you doing? And then from there, it went to a network. And um, now we have 27 churches in that network. Okay. It's a network of churches. Okay. And uh, I think average weekend attendance is about 7,000 right now. Wow, fantastic. Um, yeah.
0: So, um, and then, so you truly, I mean, and I've seen, like I said, when we visited there, I just really see your heart for the lost and for the unchurched. And um, I just thank you for what you're doing through the Hope Centers as I went to visit them just a couple of weeks ago, just hearing the testimonies of the young men and the women that are there and how their lives have been transformed and how they found hope in Jesus Christ and they found healing and restoration. Um, It was just an incredible thing to see and to experience and to hear those stories and how some of those people are now serving in leadership, and um, it's just fantastic. So thank you. Thank you for what you are doing and what you're doing through Hope Center to, um, to reach the lost and to reach the unchurched. Now, just recently, you've come on board with EVUSA um, with a focus on church revitalization and multiplication. So what is your vision for church revitalization in the IPHC?
1: Yeah, good question. So when Bishop Gary offered me the job, I've always had a heart for revitalizing churches. Um, first church I took was revitalization. Um, those sites that I told you about, many of those were revitalized, revitalizations, um, so I've always had a heart for revitalizing and church planning. And I reached out to the Compassion Network in the beginning. Uh, all those guys are lead pastors now of their own churches. Mm-hmm. Any growth that they're having is God doing it through them, through their leadership. And there was some tremendous leaders in that network, and so I asked them to come help me. And then it outgrew that. So mm-hmm. then I reached out to people like um, um, Bill at how can I not remember? Bill, if Bill you're Rose. listening. Yeah. Bill, if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> He's one of my best friends. Uh, Bill Rose at First Church and then Jim Wall at The Bridge mm-hmm. and started incorporating these people to come help. And um, and then it just kept growing. Uh, we'll train over 1,000-plus IPHC pastors, staff members, leaders, uh, in the month of August alone. So now we've reached out to more IPHC pastors and— We're taking on, it'll probably be around 20 to 25 Anglo Mm -hmm. and around 20 Hispanic. So we're going to have anywhere from 40 to 50 tops, new coaches. Wow. And we're going to start training them in the month of September. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, by this time next year, we're going to have 50 50 to 55 coaches Mm -hmm. estimated. Okay. And um, they will be coaching all over the IPHC. At the end of the day, I think every leader needs a coach. Mm -hmm. They need a mentor. And not only them, but I think their staff need mentors and coaches who do what they do. and that's something we need to move into as well in the IPHC.
0: So as you go as you go through this coaching process, and I know we don't have, I mean we're not here for a coaching session, but what are some of the key points that you have for um, churches that are going through a revitalization?
1: Yeah, so I'd say number one, leadership development. The size of the leader determines the size of the ministry. Uh, A ministry will always catch up to the size of its leader, whether that's um, the ministry growing to the size of its leader or decreasing to the size of its leader. Whatever the size of the leader will determine the size of the ministry. So we need to do leadership development with that leader, help them grow as a leader. Number two, we need to get systems and models in place. Um, At the end of the day, we need to strengthen our nets, so to speak, Mm -hmm. to make sure that what God wants to give us, we don't lose it because natural nets weren't strong enough. And, um, you know, the Bible says in First Corinthians 15, 46, however, brethren, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to teach people, even though we're serving a supernatural God that does things in the spiritual realm, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. At the same time, he said the naturals first and afterward the spiritual. I believe the Lord's saying, get things in order, prepare, mm-hmm. put systems in place so that you can handle the growth that I want to give you. So we're helping people with systems and models. And I would say the third thing is the peer group concept in that um, a lot comes with peer group. One, learning, best practices. So everybody's sharing. If somebody's getting results, they're sharing with the rest of the group. So it's not just learning from a coach, but it's learning one from another. I'd say the second thing that comes is, um, well, I think accountability. Um, Peer pressure is better than boss pressure any day of the week. When we're all going to put what our attendance was before Easter, what our attendance was on Easter, what our attendance has been three weeks after Easter, to see did we grow from that wave, as we call it. Did we grow from it or not? We're not worried about your attendance on Easter. We're worried about your attendance a month after Easter. Um, It's not about a big attendance day. It's about making disciples that are fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So when we all have to go up and write that on the board in front of each other, that's some pressure. And that peer pressure produces accountability. So I would say developing the leader, developing systems and models, developing a peer group. Uh, those are the three main things that, that we use in the revitalization process. Okay.
0: So if someone wanted to get involved in what you're doing with church revitalization and multiplication, what, what would they do?
1: Sure. So I believe we're in 25 conferences um, as we speak. So, you know, get with your conference bishop. And if you're conference is one of the four conferences that isn't able to have it uh, at this time, I'm sure that one of the other bishops would allow you to jump in with them. So absolutely jump in with the training we're doing five times a year. We're doing an eight-hour eight hour training in person. The other five months a year, it's a 10-month thing. Mm-hmm. The other 10 months, or five months rather, we do a two-hour Zoom. Okay. So it's an online meeting. So it's in person for eight hours. Then the next month, it's a two-hour Zoom meeting. And uh, we take off July and December. We don't want to work when it's too hot, and we don't want to work when it's too cold. So,
0: when it's the one-on-one in-person meeting, is that is that one-on-one, or is that like a top of peer groups?
1: So that's a that's a group of pastors and their leaders that come together with a coach, and it's a training that day. That's what we're currently doing. By this time next year, we'll actually bust that up into clusters or groups, and each group will have a coach. And that's why we're going to start training coaches in September. Okay. We'll actually, um, we'll have an evening together where we'll lay it all out. The next day, Bishop Beecham's letting us spend the day with Craig Rochelle and his staff, which is a big day for us wow. all. He's a hero in the faith.
0: Well, it sounds like there are a lot of opportunities for pastors to get involved um, in, in the training that you're providing and in the mentoring process as well. Um, so if they wanted to do that, do they just contact the Evangelism USA office or their local conference?
1: Sure, yeah. If you're one of those 25 conferences, just get with your conference bishop or the uh, evangelism representative there. Okay. Um, if not, then just call the office, call EVUSA, and we'll find you one of the 25 trainings going on every month.
0: Okay, excellent. Well, thank you for everything that you're doing. Um, as we close today, if what is one word of encouragement that you might have for a pastor who feels like they've kind of hit a wall or kind of plateaued with their church and having a hard time just moving forward into that next step?
1: Find somebody that's already been there and done that. There's no no sense in reinventing the wheel. There's no sense doing it the hard way. Uh, Whatever wall you've hit, somebody else hit it and they overcame it. Mm -hmm. So go find somebody that, that hit the same wall, that overcame that wall, that possibly has overcome the three walls you're going to hit after that, Mm -hmm. and get them to help you. Um, You look around, athletes, even the best of the best athletes, Tom Brady, they say he's the GOAT of all quarterbacks, but he still has a head coach. Mm -hmm. And the same thing goes with any sport you want to look at, whether you want to get into investing financially, you need a financial planner, it's a coach. If you want to start going to the gym, they offer you a personal trainer, it's a coach. And the list goes on and on. I don't really understand why everything in life, people understand they can get there faster and they can go further with a coach except pastors. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what that's about, but I think we all need a coach and a mentor that has been there and done that that can help us get there more effectively, more efficiently, and we can do more than we could have ever done by ourselves.
0: It goes to the whole principle of having someone that's pouring into you and then you having someone then who you're pouring into.
1: Yeah, sure. I, I do coaching for a living, But I have a coach. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a few people that I would consider mentors, but one person that is my personal coach, and I lean on that person. They have 50 years of ministry experience. They've pastored a mega church. They've ran a network, and they've done consulting for denominations. Mm -hmm. And I lean heavily on their advice. And when I get stuck, I call them. Mm -hmm. And we meet once a month, every month, for a whole day. And um, for me, whatever amount of money it costs, it's worth the investment for what it's done for my life.
0: Well, thank you, Josh, and thank you for sharing with us today, but then also for sharing the um, wisdom that you have gained you know, as you've pastored and in reaching out to the unchurched and how you're now willing to share that with, with our churches and um, with pastors and leaders to help them to, to move on to the next thing that God has for them in their communities as well. So,
1: yeah, thanks so much. I'm glad to be a part. Yeah, it's
0: great to have you with us, Josh. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the IPHC Leadership Cast. If you enjoyed this podcast today, please take the time to leave us a review and share with your friends. Thanks again for joining us.